If you've got your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Luke chapter 12 and verses 13 through 31, and we'll get there here in just a second. Uh, This is our last week in the sermon series on parables, Uh, but before we do that, let me just talk about youth camp. Uh, I actually had the opportunity to be there uh, for the majority of the week this past week, and uh, let me just say a few thank yous. Uh, Where are Pat and Alicia? Uh, Pat and Alicia, and where is Annie, and where is Richard? Oh, Richard left Saturday for Italy. So um, can we just give these folks a hand? Listen. Um, I, I want you to understand how important this is uh, that they took these students to camp. Uh, number one, they took their vacation weeks uh, to be able to go do this. Uh, this is, I mean, it's humbling to think of the sacrifices that were made to be able to be there. Uh, and then listen, I have seen your students worship with 900 other students as they worship this week. And listen, they didn't want it to end. They wanted one more song. Nobody ever quoted one more message. I think that, that, I mean, is that just part of being a pastor? So if you could do that at the end of the sermon, I've got another one prepared. Uh, No, I'm just kidding. Uh, But (laughs) thank you, amen. Uh, When you think about, a lot of times I think about the next generation and I get concerned. Anybody with me? Uh, Go to camp one week. I promise you it will put to ease your mind knowing that there are genuine students that love the Lord, are striving to live for Him. Listen, they do this every week at different locations, about a 1,000 kids each week. And, and I'm just, I'm encouraged by our students. I'm thankful to see them here. Uh, I'm thankful to see them worship this morning. If you notice, there's a little bit of a difference in how they see God, how they see these worship songs. And listen, there's nothing wrong with raising hands in worship. Amen? Listen, we want these kids worshiping the Lord, seeking him. And listen, we need to catch that fire. Some of you are old. Okay? Hang around these guys. I'm old. I promise you I know it more this week than any other week. Uh, But listen, uh, encourage these students. Encourage them to continue to grow. Do you realize they spent a whole week learning about the Trinity? Man, I don't know about you, but how many... Adults would sign up and say, hey, I want a week where I can worship the Lord in the morning and in the evening and learn about the Trinity. Man, that, that's, that's exciting to know that they have this foundation. And so let me give you a, a few of the results that were kind of there. 18 students, five chaperones, Asheville, North Carolina, Student Life Missions Camp. Uh, out of our 18 that went, 15 rededicated their life or renewed their relationship with Christ. And here's what this means. This means that they understood that they may have been drifting away from Christ and they said, I want to be wholeheartedly in a close personal relationship with Christ. I don't know about you, but that encourages my heart. Amen. Uh, This was a missions camp. And so uh, every day uh, we actually went to an assisted living facility and I got to watch these students serve in in a great capacity. On on the first day, it was uh, picking up sticks and cleaning up the courtyard and then just kind of hanging out with uh, these individuals. Listen, uh, Titus chapter two principle still applies to us where the older are to teach the younger. And listen, our students, one of the things that's lost is how to serve other people. And so they learned that this week and uh, they got to meet some great interesting characters uh, and some of those individuals, uh, they got to do an ice cream party. uh, They got to play games with them. And listen, can I tell you how nice our students are? They let those folks win. (laughs) I didn't play because I ain't letting nobody win. 
But they let them win in Connect Four, which uh, it was just kind of neat and sweet. But every person that walked out of that room or rolled out of that room with their walker or their wheelchair had a smile from ear to ear because somebody spent time with them. Man, what an encouraging thing. Uh, on the last day, I got to be a part of something. I didn't play a drum or an instrument, uh, but they actually do a percussion thing with a lot of the uh, assisted living facility folks. And to see our students engage and to play percussions with them and do some of that with them uh, was an encouraging thing. One of the ladies asked us before we leave, she said, hey, um, can you come back every Thursday? <laughs> And I said, well, we're from Savannah. She said, well, can you get a jet? And I was like, well, I mean, I guess I can talk to the folks at Gulfstream. Um, we'll see. Any of you guys got any pull with Gulfstream? Okay, great. Thanks. Uh, now I got to make an awkward call to that lady and be like, sorry, we're not coming. We tried. Uh, but it, it was one of those wonderful weeks to see these students worship the Lord. And so I hope that you'll encourage them uh, this morning. And uh, then 13 of those students out of the 18 said, I want to be more involved with missions, whether it's local or whether it's on a foreign field. And listen, one of the things that I heard challenged this week in the sessions that I sat in was to see students serve in ministry. And so I think one of the things that is kind of a lost and dying art, we don't see a lot of people going into pastoral ministry or going into foreign missions. And these students were challenged in those areas. And so I'm encouraged by the students. And listen, uh, most of you are doing a really good job with your kids. That's all I'll say. Um, just, just kidding. You're doing a fantastic job with your students. I love being around them, love hanging out with them. Uh, they smell a little bit funny, but they're good to be around. So uh, let me kind of dive into the parable this morning. How many of you understand the word folly and understand that there has been great folly? I want to give you a quote that kind of sums this up, an Einstein quote, and it says, two things are infinite, the universe and human stupidity. And I'm not sure about the universe. <laughs> uh, imagine the understanding that uh, Einstein was very clear that every one of us makes boneheaded decisions. But the reality is this. We are made in the image of God. And the encouraging thing with this is that every one of us is made in the image of God. But we are prone to folly. We are prone to a mistake, prone to boneheaded decisions. Now listen, nothing says this more clearly than being around students for a week. Listen, some of their decisions are a little weird. Does anybody remember making some of those decisions? Listen, I, one of the most boneheaded decisions that I made this week was me sliding down a rock. <laughs> I don't know why I thought that that would be fun, but I didn't hurt yesterday, but I hurt so bad today, I probably won't sit down. Um, the thing that was really bad was I trusted these students with my life and Sidney Minshaw pushed me really fast. And listen, listen, that, I was not built for speed, people. And no part of that rock was soft. And it was so slippery that you couldn't stop. And uh, so everybody made it out alive. We got back on the bus and all of us had ibuprofen and we had a good ride home. Uh, but when you think about some of the decisions that you make, all of us make boneheaded decisions. So let me give you kind of a definition of what this folly is. Folly defined is the absence of wisdom. Get that. The state or quality of being foolish, lack of understanding or sense. Now here's a strange weird fact. Do you know that most of us can see somebody else's area of folly, but we are blind to our own area of folly? Think about this. 
It's easy for us to look at the mistakes that other people make, but looking internally, we think that we're perfect and we don't make mistakes. The reality is this morning, as we look at this parable, as this parable unfolds, I hope that it will reveal an area of folly to you and to me. Wisdom versus intelligence is defined two completely different things. Man, when you think about what wisdom is, Proverbs chapter 9 verse 10 defines it this way. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Get this, for us to have any wisdom that comes from the Lord, the beginning of it is knowing Christ and placing our faith and trust in him and being in fear or in reverence or in awe of who he is. And he said, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. Listen, the exact opposite here of what intelligence is. Man, many times we think that anybody that doesn't know Christ is not intelligent, but that's not the case. There are a lot of really intelligent individuals. When you think about atheists and you think that they're not dumb, they're just unwise, amen? This is the understanding in Psalm chapter 14 and verse 1. It says, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. Listen to that. The scriptures lay it out. It says, we know that this exists. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. They do abominable things. There is no one who does good. Now, how many of you have been around somebody that's highly intelligent? And somebody that is just so smart. Now, a friend of mine was telling me a story about his son who could build nuclear rockets and was highly intelligent, but if it rained, he would be holding the umbrella and not know to put the umbrella up. Has anybody been around somebody that's that intelligent? Okay, obviously not. Good. Um, So when we think about this, common sense doesn't always go with intelligence. The reality is if you've studied anything of Darwin, and I don't typically promote Darwin in any sermon that I put out there, uh, but the Darwin Awards are an award that's given honoring Charles Darwin, the father of evolution. Darwin Awards commemorate those who improve our gene pool by removing themselves from it in the most spectacular way possible. I may have jumped down a rabbit hole of reading a lot of these stories this past week of somebody that made a a, a very unwise decision that eventually ended their life. Now think about this. We all know that this exists. The reality is that most of us in here are foolish in some areas. And so this morning, the parable that I want to lay out to you is titled, The Rich Fool. And I think it relates to the majority of us in here. Why do I think that? Because as I was studying this, this one hit me more than any other parable. And I think that when we think about the American dream and our society and who we are, this parable speaks more life to us. And so I hope this morning you don't check out because this passage of scripture is powerful if you will allow it to digest But listen, in the opening understanding, I know that there will be some resistance towards the truths that are laid out in this parable. Can I ask you this morning not to uh, expose your folly, but to look to Christ and desire to be wise. Not intelligent, but wise. Listen, when scripture points out something in our lives, we don't try to change scripture to mimic what we want. We change our life to measure up with what scripture says. Amen? And so when we come to this this morning, I hope that you'll see this. So the first thing that we see in this parable is the request. In Luke chapter 12 and verse 13, imagine that Jesus is teaching in this great environment. 
And the people that are there, some are wise and some are unbelievers and some are all kinds of different individuals. They're trying to measure Jesus and see if he really is the Messiah. And so even in this initial response, the person that asked him the question calls him teacher. And so he says, someone in the crowd said to him, just a random person that yells out and says, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Now, imagine this. Jesus is teaching and the next thing you know, somebody is so deeply passionate about their inheritance being received that they look up and they say, hey, can you tell him to divide it fairly? Now listen, this is still a common fight every time a funeral takes place. Division over what is mine or what is supposed to be mine. So this is nothing that is different from our day. And it legitimately seems like one brother is taking advantage over the other brother. Anybody have a brother? Anybody been taken advantage by your brother? Listen, the reality is that when I was young, baseball cards were a thing. Anybody with me? Dude, that gum, man, it was terrible. But it was really, really the baseball cards. And so my brother and I used to trade baseball cards. And you know, he's two years and nine months older than I am, and he's way smarter than what I am. And he ended up with all of the good baseball cards, and I ended up with all the garbage cards. Anybody like that? Okay, you're the big brother. I got you. I don't like you. So we think about this, and we understand, listen, we get taken advantage of. And so in this moment, this person reaches up, and he says, hey, tell my brother to do what is fair. Sounds just. Just do what's right. His frustration was that he was not getting what he was owed. This was causing a major problem between him and his brother, and he wanted what was owed to him. The interesting thing is Jesus responds, and he says, but he said to him, man, who made me a judge or an arbiter over you? Listen, at this time period, they actually had judges where they would go to that would make these decisions. Jesus asks him, and he says, why are you asking me this question? Reality is, when you think about the context of Jesus going, who made you judge? He goes, God did, I did. So imagine this guy actually understood who he was. He was recognizing Jesus for who he was. But then Jesus, like a a precise surgeon, lays it out there and cuts to the heart of what the real problem is. Verse 15. He said to them, Take care and be on your guard against what? Covetousness. Wanting what somebody else has, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Can you imagine the person going, hey, I just wanted what was mine, what was fair, what was supposed to be given. And Jesus says, take care, be on guard because of your covetousness. The reality is that the person that was asking for this was not genuinely asking for justice. He was asking because he was greedy. He wanted this. Listen, in our society, we mask justice for greed a lot. We think what is fair and what is owed and is packaged to get what we want 
rather than what we truly deserve. Listen, here's some of the ways in which we covet. Anybody covet over somebody else's bank account? And just, you, you see somebody and they're, they're constantly going out to eat and you're eating shrimp flavored ramen? Calling it a seafood buffet? Some of you like shrimp flavored ramen. These students eat it, that's gross. But think about it. How many of you have wanted somebody else's job? Man, they barely even work. They're not as qualified as what I am. I could do their job and they make more money than I do. Maybe it's we covet another family. Man, his wife is so great. Her husband does this and why don't you do this? Or their kids are so great. And listen, it's something that we covet going, why can't I have what somebody else does? So we all covet. And he tells us that we are to take care, to key in on it, to make sure that it is something that is going to be resolved. Let me give you an illustration to help kind of concrete this to us. If I were to tell you in a news report and say, everybody in your neighborhood is being robbed, what would you begin to do? Would you go, hey, honey, leave the doors open. Would you open the doors to your car? No, you would take care. You would begin to put up security systems. You would make sure that the doors are locked. How many of you are those people that you can't just lock your doors once, you have to hear it twice? And beep, beep, was that false? Beep, beep. You don't trust the first one for some reason. You take guard. Now listen, we live in South Georgia, so some of you would immediately go clean your guns to make sure they function properly. (laughs) Of all the spiritual things that we could amen to, and that's, oh Lord, we got a lot of work to do. Did I tell you at camp, the guy would preach for 40 minutes and they would want him to preach more? Good. Ways that we covet. (laughs) Imagine Jesus is laying out to every one of us that we better be careful what we covet. We better be on guard, taking care, making sure that we are not measuring our life with our possessions. True life is this, it's not measured in our possessions. Stuff is what we need to live. Stuff does not define our worth or value. Realize this, how many of you are on a first name basis with your Amazon guy? How many of you, they know you by first name? How many of you, you cook lunch every day because they come to your house every day? Listen, we, it feels good to purchase and there's nothing wrong with having things. But the reality is when we want and we desire and we're never fulfilled, that's what covetousness is defined as. Listen, just like most of us, we're looking and saying, I don't covet near as bad as my wife does. You should see her shoe closet. We begin to define it by somebody else. I don't covet near as much as my husband does. You should see all of his hats. 
Man, we covet, but we label it and we don't take care because we are okay. We're not looking at our own person. We're not seeing it. So Jesus lays out this parable to teach this understanding. And so I hope that you'll hone in and key in and understand this powerful passage of scripture because I promise you it defines almost every one of us in here. I love the title because he calls him the rich fool. But understand the rich fool was successful in Luke chapter 12 and verse 16 through 18. And he told them a parable saying, listen, this is Jesus's preferred method of teaching is a parable. Something with an earthly illustration that teaches a heavenly meaning. And he says, and he told them the parable saying, the land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, what shall I do for I have nowhere to store my crops? And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all of my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. Can we identify with this person to start? This is an honorable man. This is somebody that didn't cheat the system. The story doesn't go, hey, off of the backs of the people that he took advantage of, he made a lot of money. The story doesn't go, he treated people poorly to get this. He stole from them, he did this. This is a man just like most of us in here that is a good, successful man. Do you realize there's nothing wrong with what he's doing? He's trying to find solutions that come up with this. And so let me give you a proverb that I read this past week. Even the smallest penny can block out the light of the sun if you hold it close enough to your eye. Imagine that. And most of us, when we see a penny, we don't even stop to pick it up anymore. Even the smallest penny can block out the light of the sun if you hold it close enough to your eye. So this guy had a problem. He has too much grain. Listen, he's trying to be responsible. He's trying to be wise with it. He wants to make sure it's taken care of. If we were looking back in that time period, we would ask this guy to write a book and say, hey, how did you produce so much grain and how did you care for it? Listen, the reality is he wants to be responsible with what God has blessed him with. Listen, this is kind of a first world problem for us. We have so much, we don't know what to do with it, so we get a bigger garage, a bigger house, and just, can we be honest, how many of you have a storage unit? And just, you're holding on to stuff after stuff after stuff after stuff. Listen, we consider this the American dream, right? We're looking at this guy going, man, I want to be him. So the solution is this, I will tear down my barns and I will build bigger barns. Look, we're looking at him going, man, this guy's a genius. He has got it all figured out. He is accomplishing it right before our eyes. Listen, take notes. This is what we should do. Reality, we really want to be this guy. I look at it a little bit differently. I read this illustration this past week. But the guy says, and I relate to this. 
I have enough money for the rest of my life if I die next Tuesday. <laughs> right? But then we come to why he's considered the fool. This big surprise begins to bust every plan that he has. Look, how can we and God think so differently? The amazing thing that 2,000 years later, we are still getting this exact same parable wrong. Luke chapter 12 and verse 20, verse 21 says, But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things that you have prepared, whose will they be? And imagine, you think about all that was accomplished in this short parable. Realize he had built his barns and he had put his grain up and he had stockpiled everything. And then he passes away that night. So what are the lessons that we can learn and how do we relate to this parable? The first thing that I want you to understand of this lesson from this parable and hold to this is that you may be wrong about life. In verse 19, it says, and I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. Listen, He was selfish. His life was about pleasing himself. His life was about making himself comfortable. Listen, we are making the same mistake in our American society. It's evident because of how you're living your life. The reality is this. You are more concerned about your retirement than God's will. You spend more time worrying about it, consuming your brain with it, making sure that you are set and you don't get concerned with what God's desire for your life is. You are more locked into the stock market and the variations that take place than the needs of your church. I think that was an amen. You send the majority of your money, you spend the majority of your money on you and you don't worry about anything else in the kingdom of God. Think about it. It's humbling to take that moment in, to realize how closely we relate to this rich fool. A humbling fact as I was reading this, most of the time I read whatever passage of scripture, I try to get up to a hundred times of reading it so that it, it just resonates and understands. I catch everything that's in there. And I was humbled because I was reading a commentary after I had read this passage of scripture so many times. The word I me and my 
is mentioned 12 times in two verses. I didn't even pick up on it. Why? Because I'm so used to taking care of I, me, or my that I didn't even think it was anything unique. Man, I myself worry so much about retirement, so much about figuring out what's next. And listen, I'm not saying those things are bad things. But I am saying if they consume you more than your relationship with Christ, you're missing out on the purpose of life. I get so worried about people seeing me as knowledgeable and understanding and wise instead of going, God, I will be foolish for you. First lesson from this parable is you may be wrong about life. The second thing that we need to understand from this is that you may be wrong about God. Man, imagine this guy comes to the conclusion. He retires. He gets to the point where his grain and his harvest is going to sustain him for all of his years. And then his life ends. Listen, the reality is that we are not the giver of life and we are not the taker of life. God knows that more than any of us. That's in his hands. So instead of doing everything to enjoy, we should be doing everything to please and honor the Lord. Listen, we continually tell ourselves that we need more, that we need more, that we need more. Can I ask you a question? We're seven months into this year. How many of you even remember what you got for Christmas? I don't, and I think I even bought my own gift. Louis Giglio has a statement that he makes in a sermon about 20 years ago that revolutionized how I see my life. And so I may not get this completely accurate, but this was a 20-year quote that I was pulling back. He says this, and speaking on this topic, he says, we all have a God-sized hole created in us. It's, It's in our design. God has created us with this. The problem is, we try to fill it with stuff, but it never fills it. See, the only thing that can fill the God-sized hole in us is God. That's it. Your life is not yours. It belongs to God. Let me close with this. The last verse kind of hinges everything and lays out a deeper understanding for us. In verse 21, he closes this parable and he says, so is the one who lays up a treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. So let me ask you this, where is your treasure being laid up? If we were to do a financial audit of your life, a review of your life, would you be rich towards God or rich towards yourself? And let me speak on this for just a second. For the most part, this church is a giving church, a generous church. 
But do you know that there's some in this crowd that have never given to this church? Do you realize that God has called all of us to give to his church? That is our responsibility. Everything that we have is from him. Do you realize the understanding that he has blessed us with all of it? You say, Jeff, you don't understand. I've worked hard at my job to get where I have. Who gave you those abilities? Who gave you the mindset that comes with that? Who paved the way for you to be able to do that? Who gave you the gifts and the abilities to do that? God did. So many times we want to look at ourselves instead of looking at God. Some have tipped to this church and been selfish. It's time to give to what matters most. Listen, this always gets to be an uncomfortable part, but I want you to understand in speaking on finance, speaking on giving, do you realize what reveals our heart more than anything? What we give to. Listen, the reality is that this church over the past 12 years has, has been financially in a good position because of the generous giving of its people. But imagine what we would do if everybody did what God desired of them. Now let me clarify one thing. Before you go, pastor, this is self-serving. I could care less about your money, but your heart matters to me. And if your heart is not right with God, man, you're going to be this rich fool that's built up everything and got to the end and realized that it never satisfied. When it comes to the understanding of giving, realize how generous God has been to us and how little he has required of us. Imagine that if we just take the tithe principle, Listen, we try to teach in our household to our kids that are coming up that 10% goes to the Lord, 10% goes to your savings, and you live on the 80%. Imagine if just our world would do that, but the reality is that the majority of Americans live 108% of their income each year, continually going into debt. And listen, we've missed who God is. He is the one that satisfies our soul. He is the one that does this for us. So I ask you, where is your treasure being laid up? And I tell you, it is time to be rich towards God. Man, it's so easy for us to do this when we understand how richly God has blessed each and every one of us. Do you realize he died upon the cross for your sins and for mine? He has shared with us an eternal inheritance that we get to spend eternity with him in heaven. I don't know about you, but if you've read the book of Revelation and understand some of the things that come with that, that's streets of gold. That's constantly worshiping the Lord. Man, as I looked at these students and looked at over 900 students that were worshiping the Lord, I can't think that heaven can get even greater than that. So why are we going after the wrong things? 
Why is our desire not to see the gospel furthered, to see the church continue to grow, to see the things of God be on display for everyone that's around us? So I would tell you, it's time to be rich towards God. If everybody would bow their heads and close their eyes just for a second. Listen, the reality of this message and this parable is that it hits every one of us in this room. It cuts us in an area that we don't really want to touch because it may make us change a lot of things about how our life is structured. So I love that he says, take care that you would not covet. And do you know the thing that causes us the most problems in expenditures? It's wanting what somebody else has. Do you know what we should desire? Christ, a relationship with him, a close personal relationship with him where he leads us, where he guides us, and he directs us. It's amazing that we look at the life of Paul and look at the life of Abraham and look at the life of Moses and they're never measured by their financial success. They're always measured by their relationship with Christ and did they fulfill what God called them to do. Listen, I hope that parable cut deep this morning that you would not be foolish in what you do but that you would be rich towards God, since spend your life, your inheritance, everything that you've been called to do, trust the Lord with it. Quit laying up your treasures for earthly things. I love that Matthew chapter 6 lays out that earthly treasures are wood, hay, and stubble when it comes to the Lord. They continually burn up. Man. Where are you laying up your treasure this morning? Dear Heavenly Father, I come to you humble and thankful for this parable. Thankful that it points out an area in my life where I constantly look at retirement, I'm constantly looking at the things that need to be done in my kids' lives to try to set them up for future success. And all those are good things, but they should not prevail more than what my desire and what you've laid upon my heart to do for you as my God. Father, may we as a church see the impact that can be made when everybody in this congregation trusts you completely. Father, for those that have never placed their faith in you, he says the beginning of wisdom is fear of you, knowing who you are as our Christ. Father, may we as a church audit the life that we're living and make the necessary changes that need to take place so that we would bring glory and honor to you. Father, I love you and I praise you this morning. May we not be the rich fool. In Christ's precious and holy name we pray. Amen. I'm going to ask you to stand and we're going to sing a, a song of invitation and I love this old hymn and I love the fact that it talks about our amazing grace. And as you sing the words to this, I want you to understand what has been given towards you. That the grace that has been given towards you is truly amazing, truly astounding. 
as we sing these words. If the Lord has put it upon your heart to spend some time in prayer at the altar this morning, this altar is open to you. If you want to pray in your seat and just align your heart with what God's desire is, rather than being that rich fool, I ask that you would spend some time in prayer this morning.